Let's all stand together at this time, and uh, we're going to be looking in Proverbs chapter 4, second part of a message I began last week. I called with all diligence, Proverbs 4, 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And may God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. We return this morning to the heart of the matter, I called it. It is positioned directly in the discussion of human happiness. We spent some time last week considering this great passage in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, uh, reminding us that the heart is the center of the will. This is our spiritual heart, not our blood-pumping muscle, uh, but our spiritual heart. Remember, God created us as a threefold being. We are spirit, mind, and body, and we have a spiritual heart. And in Scripture, when the Bible is talking about the heart, it is always talking about the center of the will, the places where choices, where decisions are made. We considered how this has become somewhat controversial because there's a whole school of thought out there in Christianity today uh, that denies that we have really a will at all and uh, uh, that everything is predetermined for us. Some go so far as to say But I wanted to give you some uh, idea last week, and we did. We looked at some of those passages that do indeed uh, cement in my mind, and I hope in yours, uh, the idea that uh, there is a heart, that our heart does have a decision to make, a will uh, to exercise. And uh, when we do then, the Bible makes us some magnificent promises. I want to show you a couple of these this morning. Proverbs 7.22 says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. Proverbs 15.13, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. And so these passages then present uh, not only the heart as the center of the will, but uh, when our desires are in harmony with the Word of God, our feelings work together then with our beliefs. And as a result, when our beliefs, our belief in the truth of God, come together with our desires, what we want, what we long after, and our emotions then will follow that, so much so that the Bible actually promises us a merry heart, a merry heart. And what a powerful effect then it has on our whole life, a merry heart. Out of it then are the issues of life. And so while it's possible for us to have a merry heart and as a result have a healthy and strong heart, it is also possible to have one that is broken. When our spiritual hearts are strong, it works with the, like our physical bodies and the immune system. It works with the medicine. And so the Bible even tells us that our spiritual heart does us good like medicine uh, so that the sense of happiness and well-being come. When we've made good choices, good decisions based on God's truth. But the heart can be so dysfunctional. We'll take a little quick trip this morning back to Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every imagination 
of the thoughts of his heart. Every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Back up just a few chapters and we'll remember how the story of humanity begins. How that mankind was created male and female and they were created in a state of sinlessness. But Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and that story is told in chapter 3 of Genesis. Chapter 4. Remember that God's judgment against them if they sinned, if they ate of that forbidden tree, their judgment against sin was death. Remember? Chapter 3, they chose to sin. Chapter 4, humanity experienced its first death. When Cain rose up and killed his brother Abel. So it wasn't just any death. It was murder. It wasn't just any murder. It was murder in the first family. Brother killed brother. Chapter 5 then records the generations of Adam. And in fact, if you'll count them up, there's 10 generations that are recorded there. And with only one notable exception, and that was Enoch. The story of the generations of Adam is that people were born, and they lived, and they died. Now, sometimes we get all sidetracked by how long people lived, and they did live a long time. Several, in fact, exceeded nine centuries, uh, but we don't need to miss the point. No matter how long they lived, they all died. So chapter 3 recorded their sin. Chapter 4 records the first death of humanity. Chapter 5 records the generations of Adam. And with that one notable exception of the one who walked with God and he was not for God took him home. With that one exception of Enoch, they all died. And then comes chapter 6. It's not like it's a story told in a book as long as the collection of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And some of you will have to look that up to even understand what that was. I mean, this is a set of books that was like this big and filled up a whole bookshelf. Now, we didn't have to go through a set of books like that. Three chapters, Genesis 3, 4, 5, then chapter 6. And God looked down, and the imagination of man's heart was filled with wickedness. So that the Bible actually says that God was sorry that he had made man. You say, how do you work all that out theologically? I don't. I just take it for what it said. God was sorry that he made man. Thank God Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But all the rest of humanity, after ten generations, had entered the scene of human history, only Noah and his sons and their families found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How could humanity go so far so fast? How could this happen? Well, I think we are seeing, and it put on prominent display, I'm not the one who made this up. It's spelled out for us very plainly in Scripture. The reason that God looked at humanity and decided to move in judgment 
and wipe everybody out except for Noah and his wife and their, his three sons and their wives. And the reason why this was so was because God saw that the imagination of the thoughts of mankind's heart was only evil continually. The heart of the problem was the problem of the heart. And so, so clearly establishing then that it's possible for a person, for people, for humanity to experience a heart that is broken. And it is also possible because our text tells us that it's possible for humanity then to have a healthy heart that does us good like a medicine. Uh, we want to look at those two alternatives a bit this morning. And the first one is, of course, the misery of a broken heart. We've uh, add to this Proverbs 18 and 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear. And Proverbs 15, 13, again, a merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart, the spirit is broken. We add to it then, verse 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Infirmity in Proverbs 18, 14 speaks of a weakness, whether it is sickness or trauma or defeat or failure or anything. The spirit of a man, the Bible says, will sustain his infirmity. So no matter what happens to us, no matter how bad it is, a good, strong, healthy spirit can get you through it. But if your spirit is wounded, if your spirit is wounded because your heart is, is weak and not strong, then there's nothing to fall back on when trouble comes. And the Bible tells us by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Now, I'm not telling you this morning that uh, those of you who are grieving, and some of you are, are in danger. This is, this is not just the sorrow that comes when we've lost a loved one. This is when a, a deep and abiding feeling of sorrow settles down into our hearts. Sometimes it does so in a way we refer to as clinical depression, but it's still difficult to understand whether the clinical depression comes because sorrow is just allowed to take up residence in the life and becomes a way of life, or if, if the clinical depression then produces the, sor the sorrow. It's, it's difficult to always know exactly which one is working, uh, but we do know that it is by that sorrow of heart. Now, we don't have time this morning to go through the book of Ecclesiastes, but you can read the book of Ecclesiastes and you will see that Solomon was experiencing that sorrow of heart. He would say in one passage, I hated my life. I hated my life. I hated life. He would say that as he looked at all the things that are done under the sun, he said they're all vanity and vexation of spirit. They're, like, they're empty and like grasping for wind. Uh, with his unlimited resources, he had tried everything that there was to try, and it did not make him happy. It filled his life with sorrow. Sorrow came and settled in into his life. Solomon had advantage over most folks. Because he knew what the real source of joy was and what it is. 
He knew the joy of walking with God. He knew the joy of experiencing the blessing and favor of God. He knew how it worked. He had lived it. And we know that because Solomon gives us a great passage. I'm just going to mention it now, but we'll talk about it a little bit later in the message. In Proverbs 16 and 20, he says, this is Solomon. He said, he who heeds the word wisely will find good. And whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Solomon wrote that. But somehow, the sorrow of heart that he was warning about came to him. He didn't deal with it. His spirit was wounded. His heart was broken. He ended up miserable. When Solomon needed a strong spiritual heart then to sustain him in his time of weakness and despair, when he needed a a solid, strong spiritual heart to help him endure those times of, of temptation that he needed to resist, it wasn't there. And he sunk deeper and deeper into despair and hopelessness. We can look at these passages and the passages that Solomon himself had written. And we understand what happened. Somewhere along the line, Solomon stopped feeding on the word of God. Because that's what he says. He who heeds the word wisely will find good. Whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. The heart of him who has understanding, he says, seeks knowledge. But the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Somewhere along the line, Solomon, as wise as he was, stopped feasting on the word of God. And instead started feeding on the foolishness of the world. And his heart grew weary. His mind and body went with it. Before long, all he saw was hopelessness. Modern technology, folk, has made it possible for us to indulge our imagination in a way unprecedented by humanity. I will say this about the long lives that they experienced in Genesis chapter 6. You would think that being able to live 900 years, they'd figure a few things out along the way. They'd be happy. They'd make the world a better place. But it seems like, as I look at the record of Scripture, that the longevity that they experienced just gave them more time to learn how to sin. And they went deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Because at the end of that generations of Adam that's recorded in chapter 5, their, their heart was full of sin, and that was all they thought about. Well, let me tell you something. In today's modern world, our imagination can run further in nine minutes than a lot of those folks could have run in 90 or maybe even 900 years. The imagination of our heart, whatever we can think about, we can pull it up in a matter of seconds. And be learning everything we might want to learn about it. Seeing everything we might want to see about it. It is possible. I'm not telling you that mankind has invented new ways to sin. We have not. We have not. But we certainly do have a smorgasbord of foolishness put in front of us every single day. 
For you young crowd out here today, I know it's hard for you to believe, but you know, I grew up in a day where there was no such thing as the internet because Al Gore had not invented it yet. And uh, I I, I remember that world. I remember that world. My parents remembered a world where we didn't have television. Their parents could remember a world where they didn't even have a radio. And where news traveled by word of mouth and and by those incredibly uh, uh, slow newspapers that got passed around and handed around from place to place. And people read every scrap of information they could get. We can't imagine. I, I know it's hard for you guys to imagine this. But this was indeed the world that we lived in until relatively recently. Just the last 30 years or so. I remember the first computer that I had. I remember the first computer that I was able to hook to the internet. I remember the sound it made. And now, the world is constantly at your fingertips and mine. No, we haven't invented new ways to sin. But we can indulge our imaginations in ways that are unprecedented for humanity. We have so much information that is there. You know it, although we choose oftentimes to ignore it. But you know your social media accounts constantly track you. They know what you like. They know what you click on. They know when you show interest in something. And then they fill your feed with that, whatever you clicked on. Even the news that you peruse online tracks your interest and sees what articles then that you choose to watch or listen to or read. And they then tailor even the news that you get to some degree by the things that you click on, the things that you show interest in. By contrast, so while on the one hand we can get online and we can read whatever we want to read, we can hear whatever we want to hear, uh, and to a large degree what we're seeing oftentimes is, is, is already predetermined by those amazing algorithms now fueled by artificial intelligence that's tracking us constantly. They know what you want to see. They know what you want to hear. and They're telling you what you want to see and telling you what you want to hear. And then we have the illusion that we know we're well informed. Ha, ha. No, we're not. By contrast, let me tell you something about the Word of God. The Word of God tells you the truth all the time. Whether you like it or not, <laughs> whether you want to hear it or not, whether it's what you agree with or not, uh, the Word of God tells you not what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. It is the truth of God. So many today have this knowledge and they have all this idea and they think then that they can live their life however they want to live it. But while mankind, all the centuries of human experience has always come down to the same thing. Yes, yes, you can make your choices about how you're going to live your life. But don't think you can choose sin and end up living happily. 
there's not enough pills, whether illegal or illicit, or whether they're legal, uh, put out by the pharmacies. There's not enough pills. There's not enough medicine, whether legal or illegal street, uh, street drugs, to overcome the misery of a broken heart that is feeding on foolishness. And that's what Solomon warned about. A wise man, a wise man, he says, has a heart. A heart of him who has understanding is seeking knowledge. But the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. The difference in between having a strong heart and, and having a, a, a weak heart that's full of misery has to do with what we feed it. So we see a, a little bit then about the misery of a broken heart, but also... I want to show you very plainly about the making of a strong heart. Again, Proverbs 16, 20, He who heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. He who heeds, not hears, heeds the word wisely will find good, and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. Psalm 119 and verse 9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed? According to your word. Did Solomon really believe that happiness comes from trusting in the Lord? Uh, absolutely he did. He wrote it. He knew it. He had experienced it for himself. Did he believe that heeding the word wisely brings good? Of course he did. But even though he knew that, even though he had experienced that, even though he believed that, and even though he wrote it, it didn't keep him from turning from it. And feasting on foolishness and ending up miserable because he did. You see, no matter how we might convince ourselves of the truth of this passage, it all comes down to heeding. And heeding the word has to do with how we apply it, how we live it, how we do what we know is right and true. And no matter how we are convinced that the truth of God is true and vital to us, we also know that there are times when we get off. We're bombarded by all this information, all the current events, all the societal trends. It gets in our heads. It gets in our hearts. And before long, though we know who God is, that we know that God and His truth is a source of happiness, we can find ourselves living in misery. And some of you might be right there this morning. Some of you may be far more miserable than you'd ever admit or that any of us might ever imagine looking at you uh, all dressed up for Sunday and smiling, sitting in church. Uh, but you can be here in God's house and be miserable. And you're miserable if you are as a believer in Christ for the same reason that Solomon was, because you've been feasting on foolishness instead of feasting on the Word of God. But I've got good news for you today because the Bible asks the question, where, wherewithal, with, with what shall a young man cleanse his way? You see, sometimes we need a cleanup. Sometimes we need cleansing. 
And our way can be cleaned up by taking heed to the Word of God, by hearing it and applying it to our life. We have Solomon's example so prominently displayed in Scripture of what not to do. But thank God we've got other examples that show us what to do. And I want to bring to your attention the story of a great man named Daniel. Now, I'm not going to assume that all of you know about the story of Daniel. This is Daniel in lion's den, Daniel. Uh, that's probably his most famous moment. Uh, but I need to give you a little background about Daniel. You see, Daniel was a part of the Jewish people who were carried away captive uh, into Babylon. And uh, when the Babylonians came, they went and they picked out all of the smart young men, all of the men who had talent and ability, and they brought them then to Babylon, and they made them a part of those who would serve the king in these uh, various ways. They, they, were, they were the best and the brightest young men out of all of Israel. They made them eunuchs and put them in charge of the prince of the eunuchs. In Babylon. They gave them new names. And in Daniel's case, the name that they gave him was Belteshazzar. Uh, uh, let me get this right. Yeah, I had it right. Belteshazzar, I thought it was. Uh, Belteshazzar was his name. They gave him. Uh, that name, by the way, means Bel, which was a Babylonian God preserves my life. Um, Daniel would be caused to eat new food, to have a new identity. Because the life that he had lived in service to God was over. Everything that he might have been, everything that he might have done while he was there in service of God and as a nation, as a free man, those things were gone. And now he was going to serve the king and serve the kingdom of Babylon. Daniel had lost everything. But right up front, Daniel, the Bible says, purposed in his heart that he would obey God. And that's in Daniel 1 and 8. Daniel purposed where? In his heart. That he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. You see, uh, this was where it first surfaced for them. And what they would eat. You know, as I know, that God had given the Jews some very strict dietary requirements. The food that he would get from the king's palace was not kosher. And Daniel said, no, I'm not going to eat this food. I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to sin against God. I refuse to do it. There was some question about it. So he said, well, just try it up and see. And, and so he was going to eat parched pulse for a while. And, and, and Daniel just kept flourishing and flourishing, flourishing, eating the kind of food that was prepared the way he knew that it should be. You see, while many of the young men, no doubt, that came from Israel and were settled in Babylon went along with this incredible, powerful indoctrination, Daniel didn't. Why? Because he purposed in his heart. Whether we realize it today or not, the world in which we are living is working right now 
to change our allegiance. We are under constant and continued pressure to change our allegiance from serving the God of Scripture, from following the truth of Scripture, to serving the kingdom of this world. Now, for us gray-headed folks, the power is not exerted against us as strongly because they know, the world knows, they're not going to change our minds very much. There's an old saying, another proverb that says something like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, an old dog can learn new tricks, but I can tell you one thing. This old dog has no intention of turning away from God and turning away from the truth of Scripture. They know it. They don't work on us as much as you younger folks. They're the ones that are the big targets, and especially the ones that are down like this and Going up like this. They're the ones who are the subject to this incredible indoctrination. That's what they were doing in Babylon. What were they doing? They wanted to change their sense of identity of who they were. They wanted to change their beliefs, their behavior, their understanding of what was true and what was false, their understanding of what was right and what was wrong. That's what they were doing to Daniel in Babylon. That's what they're still doing today. But Daniel purposed in his heart. Why? Because he knew that the God who was his God in Israel was still his God in Babylon. And he was still going to serve that God no matter what. And I'm here to remind you this morning that the God you are serving today in this church on Sunday morning is still God in your workplace on Monday. The God that you serve in this place on Sunday is still God in your school and classroom on Monday. The God that you serve in church on Sunday is still God in your God in your neighborhood during the week. He's still God when you pull up your news feed, whatever it is. God is still God. And we have a choice to make, like Daniel, to purpose in our hearts of whether we will stay with God and His truth or whether we'll turn from it, whether we'll continue to serve the God as He's revealed to us in Scripture or whether we will serve the gods of this world Pressure's real. Maybe today you've already gone down the wrong road and you're miserable because you have. But the Word of God is still true. And God is ready, willing, and able to welcome you back and to help you. You don't have to live in the misery that you're currently experiencing because you've turned away from God and His truth. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to his word. Got a couple of things I want to share with you this morning. We're done. Long ago, the prophet Isaiah said that all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's in Isaiah 53. We aren't born into this world with the ability to navigate our way through life. We are born into this world with a heart that is marred by sin. We have all gone astray. We have all turned aside to follow our own way. And the way that humanity follows 
is destined for the grave and for hell. But God makes a great promise. He made it long ago through the prophet Ezekiel and one that is verified and validated all over the Bible where God said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36 and 26, he said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. I could preach for a month of Sundays on that one passage. But it does tell us about how God has a solution for the sinfulness in the human heart. And it is applied in a way that he specifies very plainly. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, just listen. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus... And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What do we confess? We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what we confess. We believe that when he died on the cross, that he died for my sins. He was buried. He didn't stay dead because God raised him from the dead. And that then gives us the assurance of victory through Jesus Christ. Salvation, deliverance from what? From the penalty of sin. I want you to know that that free offer of salvation is available to you today, right where you sit. You don't have to wait. Right now in your heart, you can express your belief to God. Believe in your heart, the Bible says it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What do we do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Put your trust in him, not in yourself. And the promise that God gives you is I'll take away that stony heart of rebellion and resistance. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes. It'll be so new that Jesus said. It's like being born again. We also then close out today by considering again Genesis 6. That's where we started. And I must remind you of the words of our Lord Jesus. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 26. He said as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. And what Jesus draw, drew particular attention to, and these, uh, his audience would have known what the days of Noah was. He, he knew that uh, the heart of man was on evil continually. Noah and his sons, family, they found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, but what Jesus drew attention to in that passage in Luke chapter 17, about as it was in the days of Noah, he said it will be just like that in the days of the son and coming of the Son of Man because those people in Noah's day, with their heart full of sin, their heart full of rebellion, their heart full of rejection of God's truth. Those people went right on living their lives. 
Though Noah was preaching the gospel to them for 120 years, they didn't listen. They went right on. They were marrying and giving to marriage. They were doing business, going right on about their business and ignoring the warning right up until it started raining. And the floods came. And the truth of the scripture was that God had closed the door of the ark, by the way, before the rain started. Jesus said it'll be like that again. Folks, we're living in the world in the days of Noah. In that sense, there's no question in my mind. The imagination of men's heart is full of sin and full of rebellion against God. It's out there in incredible supply. It's obvious. Everywhere you look in the world, it's obvious. And right now, the world stands poised on the brink of what could easily become another world war. In some ways, it may have already started. Probably one of the worst kept secrets, military secrets in all the world is that Israel's a nuclear power. Russia and Gog and Magog in the scripture, Persia, that's Iran. All of those major players are involved already on the scene, involved, actively engaged, we would call, in a war. Could this be it? Well, I remember 1972. A lot of people thought it was it. It wasn't it. We've had several other times when Israel went to war, and it wasn't it then either. But there's some things different this time. There are. Uh, in times in the past, I don't have time to preach all of this this morning, but I will tell you this. In past times when Israel has gone to war, uh, they were supported by very strong America. Is America strong on the world scene today? Do we have a leader? It's called the leader of the free world that is seen as strong. So many things are different now. Are you telling us this, this could be it? Yeah, yeah, it could be. could be. <laughs> I guarantee you one thing. If, if I wake up and I've gone out with a shout, <laughs> I'll be a lot of things, but I won't be surprised won't be surprised. I don't want you to be surprised either, but the surprised folks are going to be the ones that are left behind. And Jesus summarized that so well so long ago. There'd be two in the field, one taken, another left. Taken or left behind. Folks, that's what we're headed to. And so when we're talking about this issue of the heart, and what kind of a decision that we need to make. And make no, no mistake about it. I'm not telling you today that you're saved because you decide to be saved. The teaching of the Bible is that we are saved because we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our belief, our trust in Him. That is uniformly spoken of as the way that we are saved. I call on you today. You're going to have to believe in something and somebody. And you could either believe in this world and all it's doing. 
or you can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't wait. The time is short. And it's an important time for us as God's people to make sure our hearts are strong and healthy. Wouldn't it be great if somehow we could all spend more time in the Bible than we do on Facebook or Instagram? Or Wouldn't it be great? Would our lives be better? I think they would be. I think they would be. Let's stand together, please.